0: Today, we are going to look at the book of Matthew. Matthew is part of the synoptic Gospels, okay? Synoptic meaning um, kind of the same source. They all kind of have the same um, stories and the same rough format, okay? So it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all right? Matthew comes first in the Bible. It was put first because out of all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it has got the most Old Testament references. And so it is an excellent bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so it kind of, it provides a good bridge between the Old and the New. So, all right, Uh, pretty much it's undisputed that Matthew, who is one of Jesus' disciples, wrote this book. And they think he wrote it approximately 10 years after Jesus passed away, right? So Matthew um, does ministry work with Jesus, right? And then Jesus, he goes back up to heaven. And then 10 years after that, Matthew writes it. Now, I am going to get us right into the message. There's so much that I wanted to share background-wise, but this uh, Matthew is so rich. Out of all of the... Um, Gospels, Matthew has the most Old Testament references, and that is on purpose. Matthew was a Jew, and his audience are Jewish folks, and he's specifically trying to speak to Jewish Christians, all right? So he's got a lot of Old Testament references, and he's trying to get people to see you don't have to do things the same way. Now, what we'll notice, one of the themes in Matthew is Jesus and the Pharisees go at it all the time. Jesus is constantly calling the Pharisees on their junk. He's, and he calls them out publicly. And they're like, you know, we got our stuff together. We know what we're doing. Look at us. We've crossed off our checklist. And Jesus, time and time and time and time, and then they kind of go back to Jesus, and they try and catch Jesus and stuff. They're like, oh, if you're so smart, then answer this question. He's like, I'm not going to answer your question. Here's what I'm going to do. And so there's this back and forth. And Jesus is trying to say, there is a new way. We are not tied to the law. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. But the Pharisees and the religious leaders were so tied to the law, that was their God. And Jesus is like, I'm right here, I'm in front of you. I am the fulfillment of the law. This is why you did the law. So anyways, there's this back and forth battle. And one of the, let's go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew 5. And I, I don't know if you guys remember, probably not, because I barely remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. But I spoke on um, Luke a couple of weeks ago. Okay, the sermon on Luke. Remember? And I talked about the Beatitudes and the upside-down kingdom. Do you remember that at all? If you don't, it's okay. Just just lie to me and be like, yes, yes. I wrote, I took notes and everything. Okay. So the upside-down kingdom was Jesus coming in and inverting everything. Remember the Pharisees, especially with the religious leaders of the day. They were kind of like the the politicians and Everything that's corrupt in society rolled into one. Organized religion, everything, okay? And Jesus comes and he says, you guys are so proud of yourselves and what you've accomplished and what you've done. But that is rubbish. That's junk. And Jesus says, what I'm really after is your heart and the posture of your, of your, of your being, of who you are. That's what I'm after. I don't care if you pray 20 times a day, or if you give food to the poor, whatever. That's not important. What is important to me is the posture of your heart. And the Pharisees, they just couldn't get it. They're like, but I'm really a good person. I do all this, and I have my checklist, and I'm super holy. And Jesus is like, I don't care. That is irrelevant to me. Because what is the posture of your heart? And Jesus weighs them, and he finds them wanting. All right, so, a little background. Um, we are going to look at, man, this is so tough. You guys, I, I have enough material. I seriously have 14 pages here, and I cut out 14 pages. So I originally had a th- close to a 30-page sermon. You guys are lucky, huh? Um, there's just so much good material in Matthew because there's the beatitude. There's all the parables. There's, you know, Jesus talking about searching after the lost coin, all the lost things, and the Beatitudes is just so rich. Okay, so let me get back on track here. Make stay focused, don't get distracted. All right, so in the Beatitudes, which is in chapter five, we're not gonna read it, but remember Jesus does the blessed are the, blessed are, blessed are the, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are the hungry, right? And remember we talked about this, well, is, is being a Christian about being a sadist? Like you wanna pursue suffering and discomfort and unhappiness? Why would you revel in that? Why is that a good thing? And it's not because Jesus wants us to go after that and be the saddest, most miserable people on the earth. In the Greek, the blessed means happy, content, are the poor in spirit, because we get our posture before God. And this is what the Sadducees miss. This is the backdrop, right? The religious leaders organize religion. And Jesus is like, you guys missed the boat. I want your heart. I'm after your heart. Where's your heart, Pharisees and Sadducees? They didn't see themselves as being poor and broken. And it's not just a financial poor and brokenness. It's a spirit Not that we're supposed to go around like spiritual beggars, but that we get that we are saved solely by God's grace and his compassion for us. That is it. And the Sadducees missed it. And Jesus comes along, and he he, he grabs this ragtag group of fishermen, tax collectors. He's like, come follow me. I'm going to show you a new way. You guys are going to be the ambassadors of my upside-down kingdom. Okay, so that's what happens. So Jesus gets these people, right? Now, the parallel to chapter 5 here, the Beatitudes, is also found in Luke 6, okay? And in Luke 6, Jesus, this is where having an overview of the synoptic gospels is good. So in Luke 6, Jesus goes up to this mountain to pray. And he's like, who should I pick? To be my disciples, so Jesus goes up and he he prays. He just prays overnight, okay. You know, Father, give me guidance. Who should be my disciples? Who should, who, who exactly should I include? Who are going to be the twelve? So Jesus goes up, and then it's the next morning. The next morning, Jesus starts to descend the hill, and this is where we pick up in Matthew five and in Luke six, where Jesus is coming down the mountain. And his disciples are waiting there and they're kind of like, okay, Jesus, you know, and Jesus is getting ready to commission them and to pray over them and say, I have picked you to go into the world to be the light. So in doing that, of course, because he's Jesus, there is a giant crowd that has amassed. Remember the plane that I showed you guys, that giant plane? It's this huge, huge, huge area on a cliffside, cliff, and there's this huge grassy area. Imagine that just filled with people. There's these crowds of people that are hungry to hear what Jesus says because organized religion is not doing it for them. And so Jesus, in the Beatitudes, this is his commissioning speech to his disciples. Now what I told you about too is, Notice that when he's speaking these things, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the, okay. He's not in a synagogue. He's not in a home church. He's not in the marketplace. He's not in anybody's home. He's not in a place of government. He is giving this message. The immediate audience is the disciples. But it's open to anybody else who wants to hear. And he's got Thousands of people on this plane that are listening. And he is speaking to them too. And I think it's just a wonderful message here, visually, just optically. Who the the, the message? Jesus, like anybody can come and follow me. All I ask of you is that you have the right posture internally. All right, so let's look at, we're going to actually get into the scripture, and I will stop gabbing. Let's look at Matthew 5. 13 through 16. And I'm going to read it from the message because I just, I don't know, I like the message. It's kind of, but if you guys have the NIV, that's okay. All right. So Matthew 5, 13 through 16. And this is Jesus and um, he's speaking, this is his commissioning speech to the apostles. Let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness... How will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it, verses 14 through 16. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If you make light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. And then those of you that have the NIV will just do the NIV for kicks. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? All right, let's go through this real quick. Um, Now, let's look at verses 13 and 14. What does it say? It says, does it say, you should be the salt of the earth? You might be, you could be if you worked hard enough, if you had your stuff together enough. No, it says, you are. This is a declaration of essence by Jesus. And the cool thing is, he's speaking this to his disciples. These people, Jesus just collected these people. <laughs> they haven't gone through seminary, they haven't gone through ministry school. He's like, guess what? You're it. You're the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. There's no pre qualifiers here. This is a statement of fact on behalf of Jesus to his disciples, which is huge. They haven't gone through ministry school. They don't know the appropriate way to pray for people or to lay hands on people or to heal. But what they have done is they've stepped across that line of faith and their posture. And now let's ask, why is this section tucked in here? If you have your Bibles, just take a peek. Where does it come after? It comes after the Beatitudes, right? And then also... Jesus is also talking about, you know, if you have murder in your heart, and you have, if you have evil thoughts in your heart, that's good as murder. If you are thinking lustfully, that's, that's your thoughts control your actions. Jesus here is all about, it's your posture on the inside. You get it? And Jesus is like disciples and people listening. Wherever your posture is on the inside... That is what will dictate how you act. And this is part of the upside down kingdom that Jesus was was, um, speaking about. Because the disciples were like, okay, I have a checklist. I look good. I am praying 50 times a day in the public square. I'm doing all these good works. I'm taking food to the hungry. I'm praying for people. I'm preaching really good sermons right? It's just like a checklist. And Jesus is like, throw out your checklist because that's not what I'm after. What's the state of your heart? Where's your heart? And I think a lot of times we can get caught up in appearances and doing the right things and going through a checklist. And as humans, we're kind of creatures of habit. I know I am, right? And that's kind of a good thing in a way, because sometimes when we don't feel like doing maybe devotions or being nice to people, it's out of habit that we're like, okay, I have to. I'm a grown-up. I have to act mature and do this. But I think a lot of times as, as believers, Jesus is like, I don't care what you're doing. Where's your heart? What does your heart look like? And this is why it's nestled here in the Beatitudes, because Jesus is like, if you get that you are poor in spirit and that the only way out is through me. You got it. You get an A+. I am your life draft, Jesus says. You must cling to me. You can't cling to good works. Can't cling to your personality. Nothing. Just you and Jesus. Bless you. <laughs> um, all right. Let's see how am I doing on time. Oh my gosh, there's so much good stuff. Okay. Now, What's interesting is that, can you imagine Jesus is commissioning the disciples? He's like, guess what? You're going to go out and you're going to change the world. They've gone through no training. Can you just put yourself, (laughs) I don't know how many of you guys have ever had this dream, but I get it every time when I preach and then other times too. But you know the dream where you wake up and you're just wrapped in a towel and you have to give a speech or something? And you're like in your dream, you're like, I'm not ready. Oh you imagine what the disciples must have been feeling? Jesus, is like, guess what? You're going out, and they're like, We're in towels in our dreams and our nightmares. We're not ready, no. But notice this commissioning here in verses thirteen and fourteen when Jesus says, You are the salt, you are the light, there's no qualifiers. What qualifies them to be salt and light is that Jesus declares it so. And that should be good enough for us. So it's not dependent, when, we, when we're going through our days and we maybe are like, I am not feeling very salty right now. I'm not feeling very light right now. The good news is it's not dependent on us and how we feel game changers has this thing where it's you have to see yourself through the eyes of heaven so let me give you an example the other day this is after josh's surgery and it's it's kind of i wasn't getting a lot of sleep because i wanted to make sure i was giving him his pain pills every three hours so he wouldn't wake up in raging pain right well it also just happens to be that our our new kitten that we got has got a raging cold which sounds stupid but I don't know, you just, it's a little kitten and he can't breathe. And he's like, right? So he's got, he's got a bad cold. Sophia's like, I feel like vomiting. I'm like, oh my gosh. So that night I had hardly gotten any sleep. So, but we needed a few things at the store. So I'm like, okay, Josh, I've given you pain pills. I'm going to run out real quick to the store. Sophia, here's mommy's phone. If daddy starts to hemorrhage, call me. I'll be right back. Okay. So I run out to the store and I'm in the store. No joke. I get cart checked, not once, not twice, but three times. And I, I'm just kind of like, do I have a sign on me? And it's, it's twice by the same woman. And I was like, lady, you have no idea what's inside me right now. No idea. A lot of sleep deprivation and crankiness. And, and I was like three times, three times within the course of 15 minutes. And I was like, oh, it's so on. I will, I will body check you with my cart and my body. And I was just like, oh, Mako, you are called to be the salt. And Jesus got a hold of my heart. And he's like, who are you to get angry? Who are you to have this crap attitude? Nobody, Mako. I paid the ultimate price. You better simmer down. (laughs) Simmer your Sicilian and Hungarian and Japanese butt down. Just relax. And honestly, that's what did it for me. I was like, oh, I am salt, I am light. If I body check this woman into the towel aisle, I will have accomplished nothing. And I think that's what it means to be salt and light. Now, I didn't witness to this woman, these two ladies that bumped me, I just, but I was kind when they bumped me. This one woman twice, I was like, really? Are you following me in the store?" Actually, at one point I was in the aisle and I saw her coming. I'm like, I'm not doing this a third time. So I exited the aisle because I'm like, I don't want to get bumped again. If I get bumped again, I will, I will, there will be violence here. All right. Now, what's interesting is with the salt and light thing, right? So we all have days like, like I just described, where we don't feel like being salt and light. But the good news is it's not dependent on how we feel. Because if that was the case, most of us probably wouldn't get out of bed in the morning, and we wouldn't share our faith with people. But Jesus has said, this is how I see you. You are salt. You are light. Because you belong to me, and this is how heaven sees you. That is the only thing that matters. As Christ followers, we are called to have a family resemblance. In uh, John 8, 12, it says, I, Jesus, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. James 1, 17 calls, calls God the Father, the Father of lights. We are called to reflect God and Jesus in our lives, not ourselves. That doesn't mean we become personality blobs. But our light is to shine. We are to be salt. Now, what does that mean to be salt and light? Let, let's look at this first of all. Salt, in the ancient Near Eastern world and even now, this is why I love scripture, I mean, it's so rich and so deep and so layered and so nuanced. We lose a lot when we read it, I think, in our Western World context and our modern, with our modern proclivities and our modern conveniences. Salt in the ancient Near Eastern world, oh man, there's just so much meaning. When Jesus says we're salt, we're not a condiment on the dinner table. Soldiers used to be paid, Roman soldiers used to be paid in salt. That's how valuable salt was. You imagine that? Here's 10 pounds of salt, good job. You killed the Phoenicians, excellent job. You would get paid in salt, even for slave trading, unfortunately. Salt was the denomination that was used. Salt was so precious, precious back in the ancient Near Eastern world that people, that's what they, the, the saying, he's not worth his, his salt or she's not worth her salt. That's what it means. I wouldn't pay salt for you because you're not worth it. <laughs> All right, salt was also used as a preservative. Obviously, they didn't have refrigeration back in the day. So salt was very valuable because it it meant sustenance. It was a means of preserving their meat, their fish, which meant that they would have, have meat to eat for months and months and months. Salt was also used as an antiseptic. So if you had a wound, if you're a soldier on the field, right, and you had some, your little secret salt stash with you, you bust that out, mix it with some water, maybe just pack it into your wound and clean your wound out. I mean, salt was just very indispensable. In the Old Testament, Elisha, there is a, there, there's a, uh, an old well by Jericho, and it's got poison in it, and you know what he dumps in it? Salt. And it kills the poison. So salt just has a lot of positive, powerful connotations. We talk about being salaried. That, that comes from the root of salt. So salt, Jesus saying that we are salt, we're not, we're not just, <laughs> Jesus isn't just saying you're, you're a, an accompaniment to pepper. Salt adds pop and seasoning to food, doesn't it? How many of you guys have ever had French fries or chips that don't have salt? It's like, why bother, right? You gotta have the salt and the grease together, right? Otherwise, it's like, who cares? Why? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna waste my calories on this, right? Gotta have salt, right? All right, and let's look at this idea of of um, light. Notice the type of light that it's talking about. And notice what I want us to notice, too, is the progression. Jesus says, first of all, you will be the light of the world, right? And then what's the next progression? City on a hill. And then what's the next progression after that? A lampstand in a home. Do you get that? First of all, it's global, okay? Then it narrows it down, light on a hill, and then a home. And I just love this. I, this is what I'm talking about. Scripture so rich. And I think what Jesus is saying here is, yes, I need you out here. You will be a global citizen. And, in fact, a lot of the disciples where Paul was, right, Paul is the reason why uh, a lot of Europe, uh, Mediterranean is saved. But then I love how Jesus dials it down. He's like, and you'll be a city on a hill. What happens to a city? It's bustling, right? It is bustling. There's commerce. There are people getting coffee. There's, there's people walking their dogs. There's people getting lunch. There's people having arguments. There's life happening. Life is happening in a city, right? And Jesus is like, I need you to be a light there too. And then he dials it down even more because Jesus is all about the heart. What's the posture of your heart? And he says, I called you to be a lamp. Where? After the city? In a home. And I just love that because Jesus is like, I need you to be out here, a light out here, a light in your city. Think about it. I don't know. I, I frequent the Starbucks a lot down here on the corner. So much so, and usually I go there after I have my, like I work, well, when Sophia's in school during the school year, I'll drop her off at school, I'll go to the gym. And then I, I do my makeup, and I usually have some meetings down there, okay? And so this one day, and I look really different without the makeup, like a giant bat, no, seriously, no, let me tell you why. So this one day, I decided to switch things up, and I had a meeting ahead of, like before getting all made up, right? Before I, made, I worked out and stuff. And so I went, to the Starbucks, and I got coffee, and the, the guy in there, this, he's a younger kid, and he was, he's a great kid, but he goes, oh, he goes, Mako, he's like, are you okay? I'm like, yes, Matthew, I'm, I'm okay, why? He's like, you just, you look really sick, you got big, just stuff, and I said, he's like, and you're blotchy, I said, Matthew, I, I know, this is just what I look like without my makeup. He's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that, I'm so sorry. But here's my point. This is what Jesus is talking about as, as far as being part of our city. Are we so much a part of our city that people notice when we don't have makeup on? Maybe hopefully for the guys, it's not the case. But you know, are we so much a part of our city, and have we developed relationships with the post office, with our local baristas, with the supermarket clerk that they notice when you don't have makeup on? Or they remember, "Oh, your husband just had surgery this past week. How's he doing? How are things going? Haven't seen you back here in a while. Are we making that kind of impact in our community? Oh man, oh, I could go on for ten hours. Okay, I just love how Jesus dials this down. Okay, in verse sixteen, he says, "Do good works," right? But what's going on, right? Because if we look in chapter twenty-five, Jesus. Pretty much spends the entire chapter of Matthew 25 tearing the Pharisees a new one. Because he's like, You're doing everything out front. You put your good deeds on display for everybody. But yet, here in 16, Jesus is like, Do good work so men will see. So, did Jesus have a lapse in memory? What's going on? See, the difference is the Pharisees were doing it not to be a mirror to Jesus. They were like, how many of you guys ever watched Saturday Night Live with Stuart? Was it Stuart? Yeah. Look at me. Look what I can do. Or was that? Yeah. Look. Mad TV. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you. Mad TV. You know, look at me. Look what I can do, right? And that's kind of how the disciples were. They Look. like, look at me. Look at my good works. But Jesus here in verse 16, do good works so that God will be glorified. And you know what what the definition of good in the Greek is, good works? It's beautiful. It's beauty. How cool is that? Jesus is like, live your life in such a way that people look at it and they go, that is beautiful. I want that. What is it about this person? You can be beautiful when you're interacting with people. Why not body checking them in the the Marshall's aisle? It's my timer. Jesus wants us to get, and think about it, sometimes with salt. If you're using salt as an anesthetic, it, you can't do it by proxy, right? You can't be like, I'm gonna pretend to sprinkle salt on here and then I'll, you have to, the salt has to get in the nasty wound to clean it up, right? How many of you guys have ever done a gargle, right? Like a mouthwash gargle, right? You do a mouthwash gargle, right? It cleans out the germs and the grossness, right? But you have to put the salt in there. You can't just be like, I'm gonna pretend I'm putting salt and I'm gonna gargle with my pretend salt. And sometimes as believers, to be salt and light, we have to go to gross places to be the salt to fulfill our purpose. Light in the darkness means that we have to go into dark places and be the light. We cannot shine as light in the light. It doesn't work like that. And sometimes it gets it's it's messy, it's uncomfortable, it's awkward. This is why this church though is committed to being a community church. The word community in our title is an cutesy thing. It's part of our our mission. It's part of what drives us. That's why we do the Christmas in July and the float So when we go around town, people are like, oh, hey, you guys are that crazy church that had the float, huh? Yep, that's us. (laughs) The Flamingo, what's up with the Flamingo? That's why we're doing this Christmas in July. Not because we want people to come in as soon as they come in the doors for the boutique and stuff. They were like, "Okay, do you know Jesus? We're going to close a deal. But we want to build relationship. We want to build community. And sometimes that's a little awkward, right? especially if they have beliefs that are on the polar opposite side of you. But if we look at how Jesus did this time and the woman at the well, Jesus tells a story about the Good Samaritan. Jesus went after Matthew, a tax collector. He was dead to his Jewish people. He was, Matthew was the highest form of scum because he was, he was, He was aligning himself with the Romans, and he was milking his own people for funds. And yet Jesus is like, hey, Matthew, how about you and I talk? Nicodemus. Jesus hangs out with Nicodemus. The woman that comes to wash Jesus' feet and dries it with her hair. Super scandalous. Super scandalous. Super unclean. Are you guys willing to get your hands dirty? Because that's what Jesus is calling us to do as salt and light. You don't have to preach a sermon at your workplace or preach a sermon to the barista, but we should live our life so that it is beautiful. That the fruit we're producing causes people to go, What's up with this person? Why is this person so, even when they look sick, why are they so happy? What's that root of joy inside of them? I want that. Can I have the band come up? just want to encourage you guys this week. Go out. I want you to assess your life. Are you being a light in your home? I can't tell you, especially this past week, I have had to apologize to my daughter so many times. Because <laughs> I have not been a light. I've been short-tempered, I've been snippy. Are we being a light in our home? Are we being a light to the The postmaster. Are we being a light to our barista? Are people seeing our good works that glorify God? All right, let's just enjoy some worship and enter into God's presence and I want you to take inventory as we sing this song. Are you being salt and are you being light? offering sorry yes sorry i can have the ushers come up sorry thank you guys got someone in my message let's pray over the offering lord jesus we give back to you right now thank you that while we were yet sinners you reached out and you gave the ultimate gift jesus nothing that we have belongs to us we are just stewards of it And we give this offering back to you, and we say, have your way with it, Jesus. Use it, God, to further your kingdom here on earth, Jesus. We love you, and we freely and gladly give it back to you, God. In your name we pray, amen.